Uh, you're listening to The Green Majority here on a uh, cool uh, but nice uh, Pride weekend uh, opening here in Toronto live during the recording of this. Uh, that's what I'll be doing the rest of my evening. So can we hurry up and do the show so I can go do that? I think we can, yes. Uh, Stefan, uh, I'm titling you ring leader today in a very right. in a circus. I want circus imagery because that, that is my uh, tease. But uh, uh, well... Why don't you take it from there? Yeah, all right. Thank you very much. So we're uh, we're covering here. There's two stories in this opening section, and one of them is uh, bad. Uh, not bad in the normal sense that we actually use as bad. Like I feel like I need to clarify. This isn't bad as like another bad thing has happened. Uh, well, actually, one of them is a bad thing that's happening, and the other one is just a sort of a, a poor example of journalism. Mm. Uh, and and so we're going to sort of actually jump off here with a, with a story about uh, about carbon and specifically the carbon bubble coming out of uh, a new a new report. And then we're going to jump over to see what you know the pre what I think they would hail themselves as the premier market watchers uh, in the Wall Street Journal are talking about. Uh, within within carbon, right? Um, and so and so this is so, and I think that I think that will be illuminating, shall we say? But let's start actually with with Dave's got a piece here, a little bit about sort of a, a, another piece of our ongoing segment about carbon bubbles. Uh, but this is actually some new reports and new information coming out. So, Dave. A new study published in the peer-reviewed journal Nature Climate Change by scientists and economists from universities in the UK, the Netherlands, and Macau shows that increased energy efficiency, new technology, and climate policy might be dramatically reducing demand, global demand for fossil fuels. As such, a lot of new investment from big companies and countries like Canada and the United States could be a complete waste of money. The study looks at the larger economic impact of such stranded fossil fuel assets, asserting that our current technological tra trajectory alone is enough to nullify much current investment in fossil fuels even if new climate policies do not emerge. More money will be lost, of course, if Paris Agreement strategies to keep global warming under 2 degrees Celsius are adopted, and if lower-cost fossil fuel producers try to minimize their losses by increasing production and outcompeting more expensive products like tar sands, shale, and deep-drilled oil. The authors state that if this carbon bubble is not addressed, the loss could be between $1 and $4 trillion U.S., incurred mostly by Canada and the United States, a figure which they say is comparable to the 2008 financial crisis. Big importers of fossil fuels like China and the EU, who have invested in renewable energy and efficiency, will see economic benefits from the change. The study states, quote, Faced with stranded fossil fuel assets of potentially massive proportions, the financial sector's response to the low-carbon transition will largely determine whether the carbon bubble will burst, whether the carbon bubble burst will prompt a 2008-like crisis. Lead author Jean-François Mercure said, to some degree, at least, you can't stop it, but if people stop putting funds now in fossil fuels, they may at least limit their losses. Former UN climate chief Christian Figueres told The Guardian, quote, There is a big difference between the economics of climate change and the politics of climate change. If Is Trump going to stop that advance? I don't think so. Fossil fuel companies are expected to fight amongst themselves for the remaining market rather than invest in renewables, which does not look good for Canada's tar sands. For instance, OPEC countries such as Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela are meeting this afternoon to decide whether to raise their oil output, which, if intensified in response to falling demand for fossil fuels, could ruin the more expensive shale, tar sands, and Arctic drilling industries. The authors point out that this trend does not solve global warming and that new policies will still be needed to prevent the worst outcomes of climate change. 
All right. So there's this again. This is a, a another study sort of covering a an ongoing conversation that we've been having, and and a couple pieces here that I want to pull out. The first is is just the is just the the, the one quote from the UN uh, climate chief uh, Christian uh, Figueres. 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 Uh, see, I was, I was trying. I was trying, to guess, I was trying to guess if it was French or uh, or, or Spanish, and I clearly guessed wrong. Um, but uh, but I think the, the, the quote, of course, is there is a big difference between the economics of climate change and the politics of climate change, and and I think that cannot be underscored enough. I think we've spent so long, especially in the last hundred years or so, presuming that whatever the politics of the United States is determines the economics of the world. And, and, and especially, I said it here, as, especially with China and in the EU sort of moving away from that agreement uh, and, and towards their own sort of efforts to, to combat, uh, well, specifically climate change in the EU and, and more commonly, actually, in, in China, their, the, the, the problem of congestions in their cities, uh, we'll see that the United States is having less and less control of the global economy. And, and so and this is why all the things that environmentalists are fighting for within Canada are so important. Uh, you know, this is why the idea of, uh, of Doug Ford getting rid of the cap and trade, which we'll get to in the second section, um, or, or Justin Trudeau investing in Kinder Morgan um, are so dangerous. Because it's, we're not just talking, you know, this is not a set of people who are just saying this is bad because it will ruin the environment, which it will, and that is very bad. Um, and you, you, you ev- tune in every other week for us to hear us, hear us say that. Uh, but this is also just incredibly dangerous reading of the market. Like the market for fossil fuels is dwindling. Uh, and, 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 and the fascinating concept that you can expect that if, especially if these OPEC countries start seeing that window decreasing, you know, they've been, historically, they have been, uh, they have been, you know, keeping the amount of money that they want to be, the, the amount of oil that they're producing at a, at, a red, at a steady state, so they can actually control the amount of, uh, of, 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 how, of how much oil costs. And so they've, you know, they, they, has, they have a window of how long they, their reserves will last, and they're sort of going to maximize the profit of that by not to sort of flood the market with oil right now, which they could. However, if these countries do see that ending, you know, if these countries do actually see a moment when, you know, 2025, 2030, 2050, oil is no longer going to be a viable fuel, then they are going to start, then, then there's a dramatic incentive for them to, to pump out as much as they can right now to make money off it before it becomes a stranded asset, which is, which is exactly as the authors point out, a severe danger to those of us who are relying on more expensive versions of fossil fuels. You know, this is a, and, and so this combination of these two pieces you're now looking at basically you have the OPEC countries, you have China, and then you have the EU. All three of these, all three of these if, they, if and when they see sort of the, the dwindling timeline of, of fossil fuels, has much more of an impact than the whims of, of Donald Trump or Justin Trudeau. And, and that should scare the people who are invested in Canada and the United States. I just want to add some small part to that as well is that the like one of the things we're looking at right now with all the uh, free trade uh, and like trade discussions is the idea and that the the sense of the people with brains are are commenting about the impacts and the futility of Trump's trade war. Right. And part of the idea there is that, you know, it's kind of too late to start a trade war with China about this in this way, uh, because, you know, the, the, the way to win this trade war was to not make them the manufacturing plant of the world not to do that and then complain about it. 
Uh, and so the reality is right now is that China is the manufacturing plant of most of the world for most of the stuff, and they have giant market share. And while the U.S. is pulling back, uh, their their uh, international clout is expanding. And this is exactly what they wanted. But without getting into the geopolitics of that, the reality is, is that despite China is doing what China is doing. So in some cases, they're they're breaking records for building solar. They also have tons of coal. But they are gearing up to build the world's solar plants and everything else. And they have enough market force that if they that once they essentially control the market and Americans and all these other countries basically pretend they don't exist, like there there's going to be, this revolution is going to happen. And congratulations, now China is the biggest world power. And I'm not saying that for like that obviously is not a racial comment. It's not even a geopolitical comment in the sense that I think that I'm trying to fear monger about China. I'm just saying the practical reality is you may not have the choice. And that's just another reason there may be no choice about this. It's going to happen whether or not us and, and Canada and, and the Americans make the decision that we want to happen. It's it's just we're just talking about how long. Well, the, the decisions that were made sort of by, you know, by by the especially America right now, really, really what's fascinating about this, of course, is that it like someone made a good comment on Twitter recently about how almost everything that Trump is now demanding he would have gotten had he not spiked the TPP. You know, the Trans-Pacific Partnership was almost all of the things that Trump now wants is now pretending that everyone's not giving him. Uh, you know, it would have it would have given it would have given the U.S. more more action more, more control in uh, in Southeast Asia. Uh, it would have it would have decreased tariffs between between the nations that were part of it, including Canada. You know, it would have and yet and yet that was the first thing he did from a quote unquote protectionist stance. You know, and you can you can debate. Uh, there's a full-on reasonable debate we had about the qual the value of, of free trade versus uh, versus more protectionist uh, policies. But but what Trump is doing just makes absolutely no sense. There's like there's a, there's a, there's 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 reasonable trade conversations to be had, and then what Trump is doing, which is sort of he wants well, unsurprisingly, he wants his cake and he wants to eat it too. But let's but what I want to it's important now to just jump over to seriously what. Like this is an article, of course. It came. It came out in Nature magazine. Was then posted in the Guardian. You know, these are these are sort of like this is either science academic sort of side of it, or or a little bit of a, a more left wing newspaper. Uh, although the Guardian's other part of it less it, but the Guardian environment specifically is actually quite quite strong in the environmental sector. And so those pieces of it is is where we're hearing this. Let's hear what the Wall Street Journal thinks about climate change. This article came out like a week ago. The Wall Street Journal has published an article opining that climate change is no longer a relevant issue, Stefan, oh. because it has become too intertwined with social justice and human rights movements. <clears throat> the author suggests that the world's biggest governments were once open to large-scale decarbonization efforts, but have chosen to back away due to the influx of leftist, leftist identity politics. The author cites a 1972 article outlining a typical political attention cycle that many issues are supposed to pass through. First, experts and activists point out the problem, then politicians and the media jump on it and everybody develops a messiah complex. It is then recognized that the problem is too costly to solve and we all stop caring about it. <laughs> the article argues that it is the activists who are not willing to make the trade-offs necessary to bring their vision to fruition. The author cites environmentalist reticence towards nuclear power and their ill-omened focus on combating the fossil fuel industry, and conclude by stating that scientists should be outraged by the left's, by the left's politicization of the problem and narrow range of acceptable solutions. The fatal error made by the left, the author claims, is to treat climate change as a planetary problem that can only be fixed by collective international regulation. 
Yeah, it's really a personal problem. Yeah, exactly. It's individual. Common, common yeah. solution starts at home. <laughs> yeah, and only at home. And right. don't talk about anywhere else. Okay, <laughs> yeah. there are three things about this article that are absolutely infuriating, uh, which is why when I read it like a couple weeks ago, I, I made sure to make time to just get mad at this article on the show. Uh, the first is very simple. For it, it, the conservatives had the opportunity to make climate change their thing. ExxonMobil knew about it in the late 70s. Uh, they could, if, if they, uh, the, the, and then for the last 20 years, the only major ask of environmentalists has been to put a price on carbon. That is the most conservative solution to this kind of thing. If you were going to use a market-based solution for almost any other issue, it would it would be considered a incredibly right wing opportunity. You know, the look at look at the American healthcare system. You know, that is the idea of using the market to solve healthcare, and it is you know panned, uh, but it is a clearly seen as a conservative way of doing this. Putting a price on carbon has been the number one ask of environmentalists for at least the last 10, if not the last 20 years. And the idea that and, – and what happened, honestly, was they were rebuffed by conservatives. Conservatives refused to accept the, a conservative solution to this problem. And that is and that is sort of what led to the idea that the Paris Accord was required. Had, every or, had everyone just put a price on carbon and walked away, uh, which is – then that would be – then that could have been done. And the idea to blame the left wing for for not doing enough to appeal to the right on this issue is absolutely fundamentally ludicrous. Let me just jump in and remind people how this conversation went over the past 40 years. Hey, this is a problem. We need to ban fossil fuels. No, no, that's uh, that's too extreme. Let's put a tax on them. Okay, fine. We'll put a tax on it. No, that's too extreme. We need a market solution. Okay, fine. We'll do cap and trade. No, that's too extreme. Let's do nothing. <laughs> well, well you, every you single must... time, the thing that we actually try and do is the concession, and then they say no. No, that's the extreme thing. Well, you missed the twenty years. This is a game that gets played in all politics, but nowhere as glaringly as here. Yeah, you missed the twenty years where they said that's not actually a problem. We are denying right, it, right, and right, then right. and then eventually we got here. Well, just as far as like once that oh, yeah, starts, once course, yeah. once there is a conversation that actually made it to like re out of meetings and whatever, but actually onto like house floors and like in government proceedings, uh, the reaction has always been adopted by the people as a fine. If you'll agree to that, then fine, we'll do it your way as long as we do something. And then they say, haha, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I want to point out that uh, Bob Inglis was a conservative. Uh, He's a Republican. I believe he was a Republican senator. Uh, he may have been a uh, he may have been a Republican um, congressman. Either way, he he was a Republican congressman who had the audacity to believe in climate change, and was very quickly Tea Partied uh, and and lost his district. And, and so the idea that was, and that was, that was in 2012. Uh, and so let's, let's not kid ourselves here about who about who is blocking this, but that's not the only thing wrong with this article because this article is wrong in many other ways. And I want to get to the other two. The second one is if you're going to have wall street journal, listen, I know you listen to the show wall street journal. So <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here with me. If you're going to talk about climate change, at least understand the issue. Because if you're going to argue that the Paris Agreement was ridiculous because, or it was, it was fa failed in part because it asked for including concern of gender equality and empower empowerment of women and intergenerational equity, you fundamentally don't understand that one of the major unscientifically proven ways to reduce emissions is to educate women. 
it is in it is in Project Random's one of the top ten ways to reduce emissions in the future is to educate women. It's scientifically backed. This is not a matter of we just also. Uh, like aside of the weather that like that's a, it's the right thing to do and I can't believe your argument is the argument but like it is a scientific fact that educating women is a powerful tool to reduce emissions how is that the case it delays uh, basically educating women brings their status up within within the society uh, and delays when they have their first child uh, which which increases which decreases the number of, of, of kids yeah. that usually have. increases mm-hmm. access to education a number of our number About of childbirth. other and a number it, of other factors as well. Just the societal status. Yeah, being able to make decisions about their own bodies, uh, influenced uh, uh, in, uh, increased influence over decisions of the household, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, the, the statistics are off the chart. Yeah, uh, it, it, like on the top yeah. of that. Uh, and the last part of this is the the idea that you should just treat this as a issue, quote unquote, and not actually a planetary crisis is privilege incarnate. You know, you are li- you are in a country that is already experiencing the, the the horrors of climate change. You know, Puerto Rico is still is still trying is still you know reeling from the fact that Trump basically ignored it after the last hurricane, and and you're out here saying oh it's it's dead because no one cares about it anymore. It's not going away because people don't care. It will right. just continue to get worse, and so like. If 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 you are in if I don't I, I'm certain almost certain that no one who writes for the Wall Street Journal listens to this. But if you are ever finding yourself in a scenario where you are in some way responsible for working with 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 right wing media to talk about climate change, I only ask that you at least address the issue head on. That like Stefan, like, if you want to solve um, racism, you're really asking for too much. Let's <laughs> let's be fair to people from the Caribbean, but like all people of color. I mean, come on. <laughs> like, there's it's, it's 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 unbelievable that you're looking at like if the Wall the Wall Street Journal basically is like whether it ever had credibility at all. But the concept that it should be where you're looking for market news at this point, given that they are basically you know there's credible evidence that we are heading towards a massive bubble, and the Wall Street Journal is out here saying you know oh the issue is is not important. You know this is this would be exactly Exactly like if in 2007 the Wall Street Journal posted an article being like, household debt is just a non-issue. I don't think anyone should care about household debt because you know the lefties keep saying it's an equity issue, and so we just shouldn't care about it. You're, well, you you want to redistribute wealth? That's an attack on the rich. Yeah. So therefore, we can't help poor people who are starving and dying. You know, like this is like like this is this is this is fundamentally like you can like the market is leaving the people who think they know the market behind, and and the old guard better figure out and start talking to these these people who are these new economists who are looking at the carbon bubble, or else we are looking at a one to four trillion dollar hole that. We'll come into. Right. We, uh, need to, we need to go to a yeah. break, um, but Stefan, I want to mention something I don't want to talk about because I'm just going to tell people <laughs> to read it. So let me do that here yeah. and then we'll have a clean break. So <laughs> on a similar uh, comment, if you're interested in infuriating yourself even further, um, the age of uh, Ford has come already and we're, we're seeing more nonsense printed in Toronto area newspapers. Uh, the Globe and Mail was gracious enough to uh, write a sneering article explaining how climate science is all a big uh, fluff. Uh, but don't worry, folks, they got a real expert of, oh, wait, it's a professor of economics explaining climate scientists to to us again mm-hmm. um i already made a tweet that i think sums up my comments on that and it's really just for you know anyone listening to this program it's just going to make you want to smash your head against a wall um so i'm both going to spare you explaining the article and and not even necessarily encourage you to read it um but if you are a subscriber to the global mail who cares about climate change maybe write a letter to the editor saying um can you please have people with actual education in the areas they're commenting on because you're you're giving people credence as if he's an expert uh, implied by publishing his writing and when he doesn't have the slightest 
slightest understanding of what he's actually talking about. It brings shame to your newspaper. So shame on you, Globe and Mail, uh, for publishing uh, this clown. I won't even say his name. You can look on the Twitter feed if you want to know what I think about it and, re- and see the article. But shame, shame on the Globe and Mail before we go to break. With that, Megan, what are we going to listen to, hon? Welcome back to the Green Majority. This is on CIUT 89.5 or any one of our wonderful radio syndicates or even perhaps on the podcast, which can be found at greenmajority.ca. We are here live in studio with Sarah Kester and Dave Hostetter. Thank you both. And we're also here live on the, on the, by the power of the telephone uh, with Lauren <laughs> Latour. Lauren, how are you doing? I'm doing super well today. How's everybody doing there? Oh, we're pretty well. It's the, uh, I would, the, the studio can get a little hot on the really hot days, and so the cooler air is actually serving us very well. Mm. <laughs> um, so we, uh, I know we had spoken briefly about sort of having you jump in on the first se- talk about the first segment, but I think because this other, the last news story we're covering here uh, has, a, has a pretty much similar bend to it, uh, I think we'll jump right in, Doug Ford, and then get your sort of pins on all three. Does that work for you? Yeah, absolutely. Can I can I make one yes, one quick point? Um, the uh, the former UNF Triple C uh, secretary, um, her her name is actually Christiana. Um, she she's a she's a a, de- a a diplomat from from Costa Rica. So not not Christian Figueroa, it's Christiana. Ah, that's my bad. Not not an important point. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's somewhat important. It, it it fundamentally changes her her name. So that's thank you for correcting us that point. That's uh. The one A, but still, you know. Um, but thank you very much. That's uh, always good to have a live fact checker on the show. Um, but uh, was that that was your entire point? Just correcting your name. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That, that was all. Awesome. Sorry. No. 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 That's that's fantastic, Dave. Uh, what do we got? So the Globe and Mail is reporting that certain disgruntled Ontario-based companies may be looking to sue Doug Ford's new progressive conservative government over carbon credits purchased under the Liberals' cap-and-trade system. Under the system, companies purchased carbon allowances from their governments and then could trade trade amongst themselves to other polluters and market speculators. The credits have become useless since California and Quebec closed their joint carbon market with Ontario after Doug Ford promised to end the cap-and-trade. Quebec and California were motivated to protect their markets from flooding with cast-off carbon allowances from Ontario companies, which would lower the price of their product, losing those governments' money and causing more pollution. When asked about the $2.8 billion in stranded carbon credits already purchased by Ontario companies, Ford replied that everyone will be much happier in the future when they have more money, and that he doesn't believe the province will be sued. Ontario will now join Saskatchewan in its legal battle against Justin Trudeau's federal requirement for provinces to put a price on carbon. If Ottawa wins the case, companies will be forced to pay even more for carbon emissions when the federal government's $20 per tonne carbon tax is implemented in lieu of a provincial solution. In a press release, Quebec Environment Minister Isabelle Monasson said governments do not have to choose between the economy on the one hand and environmental protection and combating climate change on the other. Thank you. Uh, so there's obviously a, a, a fair amount there, and I never did I think I would be on the side of Suncorn and Bridge. Uh, but if I were them, I would be very mad. Like it, it is, there is a there is to, to quickly just to sort of explain the the scenario that they they put them in. Um, basically, if you were if you were if over the last couple of years, Ontario businesses who have who have had to who are emitting carbon have had to buy cap and trade uh, credits to emit carbon, uh, and so they have uh, and so they've they've spent that money. 
already. And so they have these they have, they have these they have these you know agreements based on the government where they can they can reduce it, uh, or they can emit emit uh, emit carbon. There you go. Um, and and it looks and yet we're pretty certain that the that the federal government has the ability and power to tax people. That's that's relatively actually like I'm I don't know exactly where the where the idea comes from Saskatchewan and Ontario because even though provinces are very powerful uh, in in our system it is almost unquestionable that the federal government has the ability to put taxes on things they already do in many other in many other ways and so the idea that they would have one more tax on carbon is is is, is relatively within pretty obviously within their constitutional right and 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 trudeau has already basically created a a stated plan not not only to put in a carbon tax in, in ontario but then actually to have that money flow back into ontario which would roughly mimic the 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 cap and trade system which was revenue neutral which meant that every dollar that came into the uh, Ontario government went back out into services. Uh, and so it was not actually a revenue. It was not a way to raise revenues and spend on other things. It was specifically revenue neutral. And so if I'm Suncor, I've spent money to admit, uh, spent money to allow myself to admit carbon. And now I'm facing the Ontario government who is going to scrap that, basically make, make me lose $2.8 billion. That's how much money has been spent on these carbon missions since then. Poof. And then immediately, basically, be put under a different carbon trading scheme that the tr- that the future liberals will be, and all of your carbon credits will not be access to that because that's an entirely different scheme. You're 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 going from a cap and trade to a carbon tax, and so they are now paying twice as much for this carbon. You've now doubled the price. The, the, Ford is effectively doubling the price on carbon for these organizations and also creating a system of uh, switching it from what was a more market-based approach within with, with uh, cap and trade, which would allow companies sort of make some money if they gain efficiencies uh, by selling the, car, the, the carbon credits to a, uh, to, a, uh, to a carbon tax, which does not allow for that opportunity. It's a slightly more, uh, it's a slightly more left-wing approach than, than, the, than the cap and trade program would be. And all of this leading to sort of this general uncertainty in the market entirely. And so, like, as much as as much as I and as environmentalist am mad about this, if I was Suncor or Enbridge or these other larger emitters, I would like this is a direct attack on my business line. Uh, it's weird because I thought voting for the liberals was going to result in a bunch of your money being <coughs> stolen and then uh, and then raise your taxes. But it looks like that's what Ford's going to bring. At least for at least large agencies. It, 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 it is truly confusing. But Lauren, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's it's baffling and ridiculous. And like, even if you put aside the fact that the federal carbon price is like grotesquely inadequate um, <laughs> and won't actually do nearly enough to, to sort of cut our carbon emissions, it's it's in addition to all of the reasons that you've already stated, it's going to cost um, large businesses and, and well, business in general more um, in this transition. At the new the federal carbon price that will be implemented. Um, at some point um, in the near future is is going to end up costing something like fifty dollars per ton by twenty twenty two that's like what it it ratchets up to. Meanwhile, the Ontario uh, cap and trade price was estimated to only hit about twenty five dollars per ton by twenty twenty two so so even if you're just comparing the the two sort of schemes based on the cost it's going to present to businesses, um, Doug Ford slashing the Ontario program and opening up. Ontario businesses to to this other program, he's 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 forcing them to incur more costs. Even if you you set aside the fact that they've already invested two point eight billion dollars in in this existing scheme that they're losing out on. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. If 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 I were a business owner, I'd be livid. Um, 
yeah, yeah. And, and you know and and it's and it's not only that is it's also currently undermining one of the few one of the growing industries here in Ontario which has mm-hmm. been working on these sort of retrofits and other uh, other opportunities to reduce hydro costs so like what's what's fascinating is that it, it's being pushed as if you know Doug Ford is pushing this as if it was causing a, you know, as if it, he was going to save everyone uh, a bunch of money. However, you know, this is going to cost twice as much for Enbridge. And Enbridge is, you know, is is, is a major supplier of, of natural heating. And so the heating bills of the of, of people are, are going to go up um, and it's going to hurt. Uh, and it's and it's and it's he's removing even just I think this week uh, he removed the. Green Ontario program. The Green Ontario program, which was spending, which was providing a bunch of money and a bunch of uh, incentives to do things that would help you reduce your energy costs and, 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 and reduce energy bills. And so this is, you know, it's not, it's not just one set. This is going to cost a bunch of people in a bunch of different ways a lot of money, and and for seemingly no benefit. Right. This is actively, you know, actively more damaging than like the types of things Harper was doing, because even with Harper, it was sort of like I I can't make a a comprehensive statement. I'm sure you could find examples outside of this. But like in this in a sense, he was sort of like legitimately pro the business he was pro. Right. So it was sort of anti-environmental, but as a consequence, not as a I'm going to go out and punish people uh, like on the the basis like there was a this company is going to be very profitable if I take this uh, law away, not I'm going to take this law away because it has the word green in it and I don't care who it costs money. So like this is a, a much more immature, uh, much more um, poli- like ideologically targeted rather than just sort of uh, soulless shorthand <laughs> thinking. Uh, it's like actively um, uh, attacking uh, and, and an idea in a way that's going to that's going to hurt people who voted for him. Well, you and, know. And though, though we do have to remember that Harper did get rid of the Energide program, which was in a lot of ways really similar to the Green Ontario program. And then, like, in addition to, like, all the crazy stuff that he pushed through under, like, Bill C-38 and C-45. Oh, but no, anyway. it's true. It's true. But it's like, <laughs> I just meant to the more sort of a, like, in a, in a looser sense that, like, his end objective was to, uh, you know, make money for the oil companies, not how do I, what's the list of the top 10 environment people I can go after and then strip it on that basis. It was, what do I need to do for the oil company? Okay, well, these things need to happen to benefit the oil company, right? Whereas the intention so far with Doug Ford just seems to be, I'm going to shut down anything with the word green in it, even if it's something that helps people who voted for me or is actually beneficial for the province of Ontario or like that's well, not, there's no end game here for me. That's just, I'm just, that's my opinion, but right. it, it yeah, feels yeah. different. It feels very vindictive and and personal as opposed to sort of you know quote unquote cold rational uh, leadership yeah. well yeah and and all before he's even sworn in as premier like he, yeah. he hasn't even officially taken over the job yet and he's and he's already gone in and started doing this well so. and what's fascinating as well which, which should be noted is that he's actually undermining the power of the Ontario government you know what he's doing basically is saying a whole bunch of money that was coming into an Ontario government under this program and then being spent by the Ontario government is now going to go to the federal government instead. So he's actually basically removing a fair amount of money from the Ontario mm-hmm. ecosystem and removing the jurisdictional power of Ontario to make up its mind. Like he's, he's structurally weakening the province of Ontario uh, to push these things forward without really any uh, – without, without any sort of other idea. 
you know, his basic idea is like, I'm just going to like, and I think in, uh, his idea is that I'm just going to fight Trudeau and hope that, you know, miraculously Andrew Scheer wins in 2019, which, which, I, which was interestingly, I was actually, I was thinking that might be possible, but I think with Trump as a foil, Trudeau manages to, I, I, I think Trudeau's back on the upswing a little bit depressingly after the Kinder Morgan debacle, just because of him just standing near Trump and Trump being awful. Um, which is a whole other thing. But I think that like, it, it seems as if the only plan here for, for Ford where he succeeds in this idea is to have the Ontario, is, is, is to have the federal government switch to conservative, which most people think that the, the election of Ford actually decreases the chance of doing that because usually Ontario flips either way. You know, if it's a conservative government, they vote liberal. If it's a liberal government, they vote conservative on federal, provincial. And I, I think another factor there is that it's going to be highly dependent as to whether or not, like the, the decisions that Ford is making is going to blow up Ontario's finances. That's basically oh, a yeah. fact. So I think that the, the, a huge factor there for the next federal election will be, does it blow up before the election or after? Mm. If it blows up after, I think we have a serious risk of that benefiting Sheer uh, because uh, he'll get, because the benefits are immediate. The, the apparent benefits are immediate, whereas the, the costs, which are more significant than the benefits, it's a net negative but you get that's the trick that always gets played right is i'll give you ten dollars now and i'm going to take 50 bucks from you later but as long as the 50 bucks comes after the next election then it's fine so i think that a lot of this is going to sway on how quickly ford's policies blow up which is in some case why i'm i'm happy that he's coming out swinging because he was going to do this stuff anyway and it gives it more time to blow up before the mm -hmm. election the faster he does it so by all means if you're going to do it anyway and there's no way to stop mm -hmm. you do it today I, I think I, 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 what's, in, what's actually interesting is I almost think the, the biggest impact on the, uh, that will be on Ontario has nothing to do with Ford at all and has to do with whether or not Trump institutes auto trade uh, tariffs, which would just implode the economy almost regardless. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I want to get back, since we learned we have you on the line, um, uh, just sort of a, a any updates uh, from uh, on your end on, on any of those sort of, uh, you know, interesting things between Trudeau and, uh, and, and Kinder Morgan or even uh, just on the sort of the, the state of Ontario, Canada's finances in, in, with regards to climate change? Um, nothing specifically re Trudeau and, and Kinder Morgan right now, but I guess, I guess just sort of reiterating points that have already been made, in addition to all these crazy costs that Ontario is going to incur, um, all the litigation that the province is going to have to go into. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a really good chance that Quebec and, and California, if uh, if Ontario insists on pulling out of cap and trade, like officially on paper, mm -hmm. um, there will be legal costs associated there. Um, all of the different businesses that are going to be super pissed and have every right to sue the government. Yeah, um, like it, this. Sorry. Uh, no, sorry. And and then in addition to that, he's saying that he's going to team up with Saskatchewan and and go to court against Trudeau as, as we all. So it's, if nothing else, how are we going to pay all these lawyer bills? Yeah, um, totally. Well, 2.8, 2.8 billion dollars. Like I cannot imagine how, if in any other setting, a government sold businesses, $2.8 trillion of assets. And then a month and then a year or two later said, actually, we're just keeping that money. And then had the audacity to say, I don't think we'll get sued. Mm -hmm. In any other setting, in absolutely any other setting. In fact, that exact scenario is why the courts, why specific courts have set up allowing companies to sue governments around the world are created to stop literally exactly what Doug Ford is doing right now. You know, like the the the, the reason why these tribunals exist that allow for, you know, uh, province uh, for 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 companies to sue states. It's to uh, it's, it's in these exact scenarios in which a you are working in a in a in a 
in a province, in a province, and especially external ones. So Suncor uh, is uh, and in Enbridge, uh, or maybe excluded from this, but like any company that is external, you know, that that, that is the United States company or anywhere else, can go to the World Trade Organization and say they're taking my assets. And then we're like, we are going to get sued six ways through Sunday. Yeah. Never mind. We talked yeah. a couple weeks ago about like the secret courts for, for all we know, China is already suing us <laughs> and the federal government might have to pay out $10 billion and we'll never hear a wisp about it. We'll never know. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, there's, there's so many pieces of it that are, that are, yeah. Like who knows? Yeah, I, how it was. Sorry, Lauren. No, I, was, I never thought I'd be sympathetic with big business, but like I know. realistically, <laughs> I wouldn't, I would not blame them at all for I know. I, I feel like yeah, exactly. I feel like you know, as a, even as a resident, like basically as the person that they would be suing. You know, like I'm I'm sitting here as someone who sort of as a resident of Ontario, my our tax dollars would go to the government of Ontario, and I'm a part of me is sort of like Suncor probably should sue me. Um, please don't <laughs> sue me, Suncor. I don't have the money. Um, but but there's a level of which like that is you know. I, I, I most likely what's going to happen is Doug Ford just going to give a handout to business, give them all, give them back two point eight billion dollars, and then walk away. Right? That's the only, in my mind, that's the only real way you can you can move forward on this, other than just backing down and actually staying in the carbon market. Uh, but it's going to be like we're like. Is, is, let al- especially let al- like let alone all the other pieces of it it's also just going to be very difficult to run a business here in the next two years if you have no idea what the carbon pricing scheme is going to be you know they went from something that was super stable and super understandable to something that is basically up in the air from zero to 50 basically right like uh, dollars a ton and and that's not how you run a business like we've set up systems to ensure that's not how we run a business and now we're being put in that way uh, but uh, we're heading up to the break. So, Lauren, I'm going to give you the last word, and then we'll throw to the music. Oh, my God. Um, can, can I say something that's unrelated to anything we've talked about thus far? Definitely. We gave you the last word. You can do whatever you want with it. Amazing. So um, there's a new uh, – it's going to be the world's largest um, open pit tar sands mine um, is coming up for um, sort of consultation. Um, it's called the uh, Frontier Tech um, open pit mine. Um, and if anybody wants to jump in on those consultations um, and submit some sort of um, either written piece or spoken piece, um, either in opposition or, or hey, in support of it, if, if that's your jam, um, those applications are due today. So so hop onto the Governor of Canada website, look up the Frontier Tech um, open pit mine project and, uh, and read up on it there. Amazing. It's going to be pretty wicked. <laughs> Wicked in all of the terms, uh, all of the yeah. ways that can be meant. Um, amazing! Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. As always, uh, and I guess we'll we'll take our we'll take our music break to throw out to Megan for our second music break. But until then, at least I have this map to guide me to where ever you are. Right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community radio partners and the internet. Google it if you're not sure about the internet. Uh, <laughs> Stefan? Yeah, so we're, we're continuing on theme here with one more story before just going back to the, the general doom and gloom. So we saved, <laughs> we, saved we, 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 we front-loaded economic doom and gloom to this to this show, and then the very, very end, we're going to just jump into James Hansen's world of, of actual, just regular old apocalypse doom and gloom. Uh, but, uh, but one more on, on, on sort of the economics of climate change. A recent study has found that by the year 2045, 311,000 U.S. coastal homes will be experiencing flooding every two weeks. 
By 2100, as many as 2.4 million homes will be flooded, with the states of Florida, New Jersey, and New York being hit the hardest, with a million homes affected in Florida alone. In the meantime, rising sea levels are already influencing housing costs. Philip Stoddard, the mayor of South Miami, said, quote, My flood insurance bill went up by $100 this year. It went up by $100 the year before. People on the waterfront won't be able to stay unless they are very wealthy. This isn't a risk. It's inevitable. Another study published by Nature suggests that as many as 13 million Americans by the century's end will have to migrate due to sea level rise. Internal migration will greatly impact landlocked states such as Arizona and Wyoming, which may endure massive population surges. So the number was was 300,000? Right now, three hundred eleven thousand by twenty forty five. By twenty forty five, and so that's not a that's not a non number. Hey, Wall Street Journal, uh, it doesn't matter if you think climate change doesn't matter anymore. Three hundred thousand people are going to be flooded every every week uh, in by, in about twenty years. So, but and, really, Stefan, you can't you, see. The problem is you're asking to help all of them. If you just asked to help like a couple dozen of them, then we'd have done it for you. Right. Well, and, and, and let's be real here. Like, let's remember how long mortgages are. Hold on, there was more. And because you asked for too much, we're not doing anything to punish you. That's what you get for asking for too oh, much. <laughs> that's that, that, that's my final weakness, my, my greatest weakness. Ah! Uh, but, but seriously, like mortgages are 30 years long. That means that these 300,000 homes are already experiencing this. They are, they, all of these homes that are mentioned in this are already experiencing the impacts of climate change because the length of a mortgage in, in, enters a timeline when which, in which that they are being that they are being impacted. And so, if you are a if you are a rational person buying these homes, they're already decreasing in value, and they will only fr- in, and and they will also be much much more difficult to insure. Like let's like insurance we've again covered a couple times on the show, but. Let's really think about just the like the number of different impacts that climate change will have and how much even something like this, you know, this is 300,000 people who have their assets. And again, as we live in a world right now in which housing prices are getting more and more expensive for almost everybody, the concept that most people's most of people's wealth at this point uh, or not most, but especially younger generations wealth are being eaten up by owning a home. And so this, the fact that these are 300,000 people who, within 20 years, their, the value of their home will decrease to such an extent in which it may not even be valuable at all. It's getting, you know, getting flooded once a week is, is not a way to live. That's not a – you can't you – can't, there's, there's no amount of insurance that could pay for that. That's just, that just means you don't live there anymore. And so this is, this is set a set, setting up a set of people who will ultimately, relatively quickly – be feeling the effects that that they're investing a ton of money into an asset that is already depreciating and and the concept that all houses will constantly increase in value which is sort of the idea that that our kind of ridiculous system of saving is built up on right now that you know buying a place is is the is the safest way to save your money in some capacities it, that the in these coastal cities which again are most places where people live like you look at you look at population maps in the United States it's not like there's a big population boom in the center of the city in the center of the country it is it is the outskirts it is you know it is all these areas and and the fact that this number of, of houses are already are already threatened on a, a time scale of sort of when us, we're, we're being like on a relatively sort of in what we're already seeing increase, let alone what will what could be on on some some more of the more terrifying versions of uh, of ecological disaster is is just a, is so much right and, and like it, like this is the this is the thing about not taking climate change as a as a quote unquote issue. 
right? Like this is, climate change is not an issue. It is a thing that is happening. And the market will, at this point, I'm now believing that the market will react faster than most politicians. Uh, and we're actually seeing the market is, is quickly leaving behind most politicians. You know, the fact that Kinder Morgan decided it was did not make sense to build the Kinder Morgan pipeline, uh, and so and so decided to, uh, to 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 give that asset to sell that asset off to off to the off to the Canadian government is proof that is is, is improve, not maybe not proof, but is an indication that. More and more businesses are seeing the foolhardiness of of presuming that we aren't in a changing world, and the governments that are sort of holding on to like the last fifty, sixty years of reality uh, are, are, are 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 thinning at the seams. Um, and and we have to we ha like the faster we wake up to the fact that these things are happening, and we have to start addressing these things that are happening, it, the, the the sooner we might be able to. I've heard discussions about the carbon bubble being popped or being like slowly let go. You know, you have a, you have a, you have a balloon, you can sort of let go and makes a weird sound and it can slowly deflate or you can just pop it. And the difference between the popping and the slow deflation is trillions of dollars and millions of people's lives uh, and livelihoods. And, and, and so the, the question here isn't, when isn't when it will happen it's how it will happen and and so if we're not doing taking policies that sort of allow for this sort of more you know gradual release of the carbon of, of, of the carbon bubble that we see we are going to experience the sudden pop and collapse which which will at that moment in my opinion be the moment in which governments around the world decide if they want to just heavily invest in in renewable world or if we are just going to slowly descend into whatever it is hey Seven, um, yes you know that car that we're in speeding towards a wall at 200 miles an hour <laughs> yeah i would have slowed down to 100 miles an hour if you'd asked me to but because you demanded zero that's it i'm just we're just full ahead because you asked for too much right that's too, too much too much asked for too much uh speaking of asking for too much there is a prominent uh nasa scientist uh who is who is who has been speaking up on this for for many many years who is like so far beyond the level of depression that uh that i currently face like like james hansen is has been looking at this for decades and i think as an uh, uh, when not to be confused with the muppets guy right <laughs> yes uh although i bet he cared about climate change also very big <laughs> yes um but uh but uh, yeah but he's he's been sort of following this for you know, you know since before i was born um and and his he offers a little bit more stark analysis shall we say uh, so dave you want to give us the new update on what, what 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 james is saying yes so 30 years have passed since former nasa scientist james hansen spoke to congress giving what is considered to be the first warning of global warming to a wide audience. It was June 23, 1988, when Hansen stated with 99% confidence that recent temperature rise was caused by human activity. Speaking to The Guardian, the 77-year-old said that so far, quote, all we've done is agree there's a problem. We agreed that in 1992 and re-agreed it again in Paris. We haven't acknowledged what is required to solve it. Promises like Paris don't mean much, it's wishful thinking, it's a hoax that governments have played on us since the 1990s. Hansen retired in 2013 and became involved in climate activism and legal action. He has criticized politicians like California Governor Jerry Brown and German Chancellor Angela Merkel for, quote, pretending to be solving the problem. Hansen disagrees with these governments' fear of nuclear power, an energy source which he favors in the face of climate change. 
Hansen is also very critical of Obama when, towards the end of his administration, the U.S. was promising to reduce its emissions 80% by 2050, Hansen and others put forward a lawsuit claiming that the government was unconstitutionally imperiling their living environment and demanding an emissions reduction of 6% a year. Hansen said, quote, We got through to Obama's office, but he decided against it. It was a tremendous opportunity. This was after Trump's election. So if we'd settled it quickly, the U.S. legally wouldn't be able to do the absurd things Trump is doing now by opening up all sorts of fossil fuel sources. Uh, Hansen believes a carbon tax is the best solution, stating, quote, emissions aren't going to go down if the cost of, fuels, uh, cost of fossil fuels isn't honest. Economists are very clear on this. We need a steadily increasing fee that is then distributed to the public. With global temperatures rising uh, potentially as much as 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2040, Hansen stressed, quote, it's not too late. There is a rate of reduction that's feasible to stay well below 2 degrees, but you just need that price on carbon. Man, I, 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 I thought that he was going to go a little more doom and gloom and actually went right back into economics. So that makes the whole show on theme, which is, uh, which is a rarity if you ever listen to the show. Mm. Um, and, and again, he's... He's what's he, this is this is actually I think that piece is actually perfect to sort of highlight the point we're getting at the very beginning, which was really that James Hansen arguably gave the first big warning has for 30 years been saying we want a price on carbon uh, and the Wall Street Journal. Uh, uh, decided to publish a guy who says you guys just wanted to be nice to poor people and that's why climate change isn't happening and. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this has been the story. We we understand what's what's fascinating about climate change and, and the climate change issue right now is that no one who sees the problem disagrees really that much with the major part of the solution, which is price on carbon. Now again, there's a there's a there's a number of smaller pieces that that sort of get back and push back and forth, but generally speaking, a price on carbon is agreed by everyone as the next step forward. And so to see people, you know, to see people in places uh, like, you know, like Doug Ford or, or Trump or, you know, some places around the world that are sort of still pushing back against this um, is, is not, this is not a policy debate, really. You know, it is a denial of the existence of climate change versus the existence of climate change. And, and, and so what's, fascinating, what's kind of fascinating, people should, a thing to pay attention to for our, for our listeners over the next year, is I'm watching a lot of cons- more conservative-based, uh, but like, re- like quote-unquote, like the more, the sort of old guard conservative-based uh, uh, columnists, giving Andrew Scheer, the, the, the conservative leader in here in Canada, a, a pretty hard time on his loose climate denial. You know, Andrew Scheer is coming out basically saying, I believe in climate change, but Trudeau is wrong to get a national price on carbon. And you're seeing a number of what would be sort of center-right kind of ideologues uh, questioning that, really sort of pushing them on that that question of, okay, if we're not having a price on carbon, what is your solution to climate change? You've accepted that climate change exists. So how is this – so what is your answer? And and the conservative – there's not yet been a real strong conservative – uh, response to that, and, and it was interesting to see Angela Merkel because Angela Merkel is not a you know is not a huge lefty. 
You know, like that's not that's not where 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 she lives, and and yet she sees the the, the market based approach of putting a price on carbon as the way forward, and so she's been doing that for years, and now Germany is positioned in a, in a, in a slightly in a slightly better place. And I could so, be wrong, but I'm actually pretty sure that she like she's running a coalition right now, but I'm yeah. pretty sure she's the head of the conservative part of that. Oh yeah, I, I might be wrong there. But uh, I believe sure. I believe she's the more con- yeah I believe she's on the she's on the center right of the yeah, of, yeah, of, yeah, of Germany yeah. for sure yeah. Um, and so, yeah. And so, and so she, she's seen that opportunity and, you know, and, and, so, and very quickly, the question is for Canada will be, will we be left behind with the States and, and, and if, if the States can't figure this stuff out in the era of Trump and fossil fuels, or will we, or will we understand that the future is, is, is to align ourselves better with the EU, uh, and, and the people who are doing something about it. And Trudeau, while right on price and carbon is still, is still betting on fossil fuels pretty heavily with the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting mixed messages there are, are provincial responses all over the map you know you have bc uh with with a price on carbon that's that is a, that looks like it looks looks like it should be increasing next little bit uh you see quebec uh with with still in the agreement with 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 California and we're we, we doing the cap and trade thing. And then you see a variety of other weird responses to other places. And so the question really here is, will the, will, will conservative leaders actually lead? Because, <laughs> uh, because right now conservative leaders are just hiding from their base and pretending that they can just wave their hands, and ignore the problem. And, and the market is about to leave them behind. And so at some point we're, they're going to walk us right into a market collapse and then say like, we couldn't have known or they will start actually turning their ons and actually lead their base to understanding climate change is a real thing. I'm not sure if I I, 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 I certainly do not trust Doug Ford or Donald Trump to do this. Uh, I, there are other conservative leaders that I think might be a little better, but man, that's a question that has to get answered. All right. We have about a minute left. I want to end on two really fun facts about uh, Dr. James Hansen. One, how he came to climate activism is the most interesting part of his story. He was a researcher researching climate change effectively. It wasn't called that, but effectively researching climate change on Mars saw some of his colleagues work and realized that what he was observing with the dead planet that is Mars uh, is was matching it. So he actually was studying Mars. Someone showed him work that was being done on Earth, and he realized there was a correlation between his work on the dead planet and our work and and switched his what he was focusing on. That's really interesting. Second, I had the pleasure of interviewing, I've told this story before, but not in a while, so I'm going to tell it again. I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. James Hansen about seven years ago. At the end of the interview, I asked him uh, as a semi-fun question, uh, Dr. Uh, Hansen, uh, if you had a billion dollars, what would you invest in right now? And I was expecting him to say, well, I think solar, geothermal. He leans in, he's a very dry speaker, very you know old man voice and goes, space travel. <laughs> yeah, not and exactly. that was both funny and terrifying because if anybody knows what he's talking about, it was it was him. And I'm honestly to this day not certain to what percentage of that he was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well that has been the show. Thank you uh, for joining us, everybody. The this has been the Environmental News Hour, uh, aka Economy 101. <laughs> uh, depression with a smile. Depression with a smile. Well, well, really, I think this was actually uh, the we di- we spent the entire show sort of talking about why the Wall Street Journal should not publish whoever that man was again. Right. Uh, I didn't mention his name. Yeah, it's probably didn't good. Feel like it? Didn't shouldn't. I think that's the right way to do it. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. Have a great uh, happy Pride. Happy Pride weekend. Yeah, have a great time, and we'll see you all real soon. <laughs>